Bardcast, your weekly podcast for insight into the articles to read, decks to play at FNM, cards to buy and sell, and insight from Robert Martin and Channel Fireball's own Tristan Sean Gregson. It's time for Hardcast. Uh, gentlemen and the few ladies that are out there, welcome to the Hardcast. It is currently Cinco de Mayo. I'm here with my Lovely co-host, understanding fellow, great all-around podcaster, who I'm sure you hear at least four hours of content from a week, Robert Martin. How are you doing today, Robert? Hello again, everybody, and boy, oh boy, let me tell you, Cinco de Mayo and the two of us are doing a podcast. Something just seems wrong with that picture. Well, I mean, I, I celebrate my Mexican heritage whenever I get the chance to, uh, but nonetheless, I'm here tonight. Not not consuming the, the, the corona off, which has been a uh, roommate tradition for my friends in the past years, but... Now with the current uh, seemingly weight loss craze among the magic community, I am staying away from uh, copious amounts of beer. There you go. So, let's meanwhile, though, get well, let's get let's get the important stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I like all these other podcasts out there that get bogged down and talk of weight and alcohol consumption and various other unfortunate medical term related jokes, like many of my favorite shows. Let, let's actually talk about magic. Well, we have articles this week. And how much impact will new Frexia have in vintage? Uh, Marius, this article explains it all. His article this week was uh, quite interesting. Um, he he talks a little bit about how certain cards that he really likes over others, such as uh, the, the a lot of ones that love like the Dictania, uh, Dictian Probe, and other cards like that. He's just trying to put together thoughts and ideas how some cards compare to the vintage. He talks a lot about mental misstep and about what cards it affects, uh, including some cards that weren't brought up, including one that I really forgot that wasn't really played in vintage, I thought, which was Imperial Seal. There are definitely the, the combo decks, uh, the Tendrils of Agony type decks that will still run that card if they want to be more combo-centric and less disruption-centric. Uh, yeah, there's been so much talk about the legacy implications about cards like Ataxian Probe and Mental Misstep. That, uh, you know, even people like Luis and myself haven't really stopped and been like, wait a second, you know, there's definitely impa- impact uh, in vintage from the set, which is always a welcome thing to hear from a set. It's, um, you know, it's, it's not always the case that, you know, new cards come out and you immediately think, oh, well, there's stuff in there that's actually going to uh, affect the eternal formats, most importantly vintage. So uh, if you're at all interested in that, it's, it's always difficult to find a good vintage article uh, from my experience when I used to be more involved in the format. So anytime uh, a website like our own has an offering, it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, he has a lot of fun cards. He talks about like different cards out there that you're not hearing much talked about, like Omen Machine, uh, things like the uh, Darksteel Relic and how it can be effective. It, it's it's fascinating because you don't hear a lot talked about those cards. You hear about the mainstays, the, the mental missteps, and other things like that. And to come up with the different cards that he's talking about, it it makes the article a lot of fun. But we also have another article this week. Uh, Want to make some profit off of New Phyrexia. Brian's got tips for you on it, including buying bulk rares, uh, the bulk of them, because he sees that as being a very good thing to get. Uh, cards like Pure Steel Paladin, even though it's not really a bulk rare, uh, things like uh, Blade now, Splicer. Are, is his article about buying like New Phyrexia bulk rares? And yeah. Considered to be, okay, okay, I didn't know if his... Yeah. This week's buying bulk rares in general, or, or or the things that are currently considered bulk rares in New Phyrexia and how they have potential. 
Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's he talks a lot about different cards. He even talks about buying uh, the Phyrexian Core for a dime. Uh, I've I tried to look at that card and figure that one out myself, but hey, I mean, it's out there. It's stuff that you know. He's that that's second artifact to gain a life. Yeah. So you have your uh, your Wellspring deck and some other sweet stuff to interact with that one, I guess. It's, it's no Claws of Gix, but it, it, it seems like it could have a potential because it's a land. And then uh, the other thing he does is he does the analysis of what cards are currently selling at and what he thinks they'll be at. Uh, he uses a lot of the ratings based on what LSV and Conley say and gives rationalization on why certain cards will be at certain prices. The one that he really likes... Again, he talked about earlier his Blade, blade Splicer. Uh, he thinks mm-hmm. it has a possibility to go up due to the fact of the Tempered Steel decks might be able to work well in block. So he discusses that and some other article, uh, other cards in there that are very popular to use. And that could, that could make you some money off of it. Definitely the best financial articles of this time of the year are the ones that break down the quote-unquote true values of cards. I mean, obviously, when a sec first comes out, there's far more inflation than, you know, the reality of what things are actually worth in the long run. So that, that kind of insight uh, definitely goes a long way when you just make the decisions about whether or not to pre-order things uh, if there's room for them to grow. So interesting stuff from Brian. Did, now, did we skip Michael, or did we, uh, you plan on coming back to him? Uh, I'll come back to him. I skipped over that one. I apologize. We have... That's all right. The thing about it is, uh, Michael... Uh, shows how to improve the blue-white Cobblade deck with New Phyrexia. The weird thing about that is, is everybody's trying to find a way to beat it, mm-hmm. and he's actually taking a look at it of, because I mean he is considered, as far as around there, he is considered the best player at it. He just tinkers with a few extra cards to put in there to make it better, and for those for the majority of you who actually play the deck. You may pull a couple of nuggets out of there to help you play it effectively when it comes out to the when it comes to actual release time for the set. So Hedrick's fo- focusing more on just kind of tweaking the best deck in the format right now, and not uh, and not kind of making a new deck with the new Phyrexia cards, but more just taking what is what is kind of universally agreed to be the best deck in the format and seeing if there are any cards from the new set that break into the 75 that is Cobblade. Yes, absolutely, and that's one of the things that, again, it it's funny, because he, he gives you the updated list, and again, it goes back to the cards that that people talk about all the time, and it seems it seems for, s- for some reason Wizards keeps doing a really good job of putting cards in there that work well. The Probe, it seems like everybody's talking about the Probe to be able to look at a player's hand and draw a card, and the one thing that that he suggests about it is that you can see it, and then if you're in a position that you can go, you know they won't have a counterspell or something for that, you can go for it and dump out all your mana and get the big creature out there that you want, the, you know, the things to do it. So it's definitely an interesting read. He does have a new uh, new list for it, updated list for it, and cards that he also thinks that will, other cards that he mentions in there that'll work. And the, I guess the major change is, is he's got two the two probes in there, and he does not have the new sword in there. And I am curious about... He doesn't even have it on the sideboard. I'm curious why that card would not be on the sideboard. Interesting. interesting. Just I'll just talk about... I'll just talk about probe, though. I, I think it's, uh, it's funny. When you're talking about already the best deck in the format... 
Um, it does play very few counter spells, and it's it's kind of to the advantage where, you know, you're, you know, still a lot of players play hesitant. They play like, you know, I don't want to try to resolve my Jace on this turn because obviously my opponent has a spell piercer or a mana leak. Well, and a lot of these Cobblade decks are really shorting up those numbers. Uh, you're looking at like, you know, three to four copies of mana leak, two to four copies of uh, spell pierce. So you could be playing against an opponent who's playing, you know, maybe four or five total kind of soft counter spells that, you know, eventually in the long range, the long game aren't going to work out very well, but executed at the right time, they're going to have uh, a very powerful effect. So being able to know when to uh, kind of attack or drop your hand goes a very long way. Well, I like the fact that he suggests because of the probe that cards like Condemn Now are worse because of it. God ah, makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I already there's so much talk about, you know, it, is Dispatch going to be strong enough in standard right now to be playable? Uh, you know, e- even being able to, because obviously you look at it from the ground up, where it's like even the ability to kind of fog a creature that's equipped with sword or prevent yourself from dying or prevent a Jace or a Gideon from being attacked by a particular threat might be good enough just to include this card. Then there are enough swords and ink moth nexuses and tumble magnets and overflowing chalices and spheres of the suns and so many different decks that even if you don't have a uh, metalcraft kind of thematic deck, this card is going to be strong enough to play. Um, so but that's something to consider up, up against Condemn right now. Because obviously Condemn is going down in uh, playability. Well, the next deck, the next article we're going to talk about is a white green Baneslayer aggro deck uh, with a tweak from Evan Irwin. Uh, on Alex's article this week, Evan made the play to move towards putting in Thrun the Last Troll. And it seemed to work out very well for him. He scooped to go 6 3 instead of potentially 7 2. He, it's. It's just an interesting mix of cards to see how it goes to work. And I I, I like Thrun because, again, it can't be countered and you put a sword on it, and now Thrun becomes this giant juggernaut of a creature. I, I definitely think Thrun will have a, a new day. There will be, I mean, it, it, it almost seems obvious saying it, but I, I think that post-rotation this guy is going to be far more of a force to be reckoned with um, it's going to be a, a more of a mainstay in the format. I just think green is kind of getting the short end of the stick right now. It, well, that's because of the sword. And that's, you know, everybody seems to be running it. And it's funny, the, it's the deck, it's the deck again runs with, instead of the new sword, they have the Selvok Lifestaff again in there. Again, another common card that is effective. And it just shows to the development of magic of what they're doing on a, on a better end to make this to make this a go. Commons have always been playable. I don't think that's a very strong argument, but I but I, I will say you know this actually gives me uh, quite the opportunity to interject a little little side story uh, involving Silvac Lifestaff. I was down at uh, Wizard World Anaheim last weekend. Actually, why we did not have a show last week? Yes. Um, and I got to play against Hall of Famer Rob Doherty in one of my favorite formats, that being the Heads Up Deck Builders Toolkit Challenge. For those of you that are not initiated, all you do is take a Deck Builders Toolkit, you open up the contents, and you build a 60-card deck. Um, it's quite a bit of fun. We've got a lot of the judges involved in, uh, our, in our little side game on a late Friday night. And I'm playing against Rob Doherty, and uh, you know, it's a back-and-forth match. And from turn, like, seven onward, 
he just keeps counting his lands every turn. I keep thinking, oh, I'm just going to get fireballed out of this game. I've really got to race him here. So on the last turn, I've got a Sirkar Banisher with a Silvac Lifestaff on it. Uh, he's at, like, he's got to be at, like, four. He's not, he can't be at three because I'm holding Lightning Bolt. And he tries to fire me, fireball me for lethal, and I effectively turn my Lightning Bolts back into a healing salve by uh, being able to save myself and killing my own guy to gain the critical three life off the Silvac Lifestaff. So I now have a new, I have a new grown affinity for that card. I've, I've always kind of liked it in, as the kind of faux bottle gnomes tech uh, in the in the Ka variant matchups, uh, so popular in Paris for um, the vampires matchups. But I think it's, it still has potential. It keeps it keeps being left on the sidelines. It seems like there's all these other tumble magnets and other swords and other kind of tools the decks want to have. But uh, I still think even having one of those access to one of those cards in your sideboard can go a long way. Well, the new hot deck that people have been testing uh, articles this week was written by Apollo, uh, including the three-color version and the typical red-blue version that Apollo wrote about. Keep the Splinter Twin down. My lord, has this card just speculatively shot up across the board. What was a happy 50-cent rare when it was released and a happy dollar, yes. dollar fifty rare for so long when people were just having fun with it, even when it was in some bad extended decks. Look out, ladies and gentlemen, the $12 Splinter Twin as we record this today. It is uh, incredible the hype that has been placed around it. And uh, the card has jumped just a bit this week, and I have to, I have to assume it's a lot from what from what uh, been given Paulo's blessing, as it were. Yes, and the reason why he likes the black is for the obvious control variant of it to be able to make you discard more cards from your hand and therefore remove the threats from stopping you from being effective in and winning the winning the match. Any that is definitely one of the uh, you know the nice things about this kind of metagame, the fact that it's in standard, not extended, uh, and the fact that it's you know kind of a two card combo that wins just by itself at any given time. If you think about it right now, I mean, so many of the standard decks that require you to have a slow building board presence. There's no big you know windmill slam win conditions. There's no combo kill. Um, you have to kind of a- accumulate board presence, and it takes an early game, and it takes a mid-game. Uh, and, you know, if you look at the Cobb Blade decks with black, they often suffer from too much discard or too much disruption and not enough just kind of straightforward gameplay. So, uh, you know, in a, in a three-color version like this, you, you can make a lot more one-for-one trades early. You can play a lot more selective discard, and you're not really um, hurting your long-term plans of winning the game because this is going to take two specific cards coming together at the right time, and... Uh, and you know, it adds a lot of validity to this this kind of combo deck that um, you know I don't know if I believe in it today, but if if it, again if it has the Apollo stamp of approval, I'm gonna have to give it another look. He also, the interesting thing is that he talks about the fact that he does not like spell pierce, and he would much rather have if it was a choice of having in a three color deck having a spell pierce or a duress, he would take a duress every time. Being proactive goes a long way in that matter. Um, and a deck like this, you know, the, the things that kind of stop it are more like spot removal that is really cheap or cards like Into the Royal that, again, are really cheap. So Spell Pierce is going to be less effective uh, overall. So it, it makes sense. I, I think you do want to be proactive. Again, it's kind of like that little Gitaxian probe thing where it's like knowing, having access to your opponent's hand to know if and when they have disruption goes a long way. He makes a comment about a card that could wreck this deck that's not even sniffed of by anybody, and it's Demystify, which is Destroy Target Enchantment. Who would have thought that we would have been worried about a deck that had to destroy an enchantment when all we have to normally worry about is destroying artifacts? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's no coincidence that uh, there's all these divine offerings rolling around right now, and there's only that you know seems like one in every ten players is like, well, should I play Revoke Existence? Is that going to be better? Is and I remember kind of jokes like, well, exile, exiling our effect isn't that big of a deal. I mean, I guess you can prevent Sun Titan from bringing something back. Ha ha ha. But uh, yeah, you know, Pyromancer Ascension is making a bit of a comeback again. We're talking about Ataxian Probe and Tezzeret's Gambit and cards like that. And Luminarch Ascension has kind of always been out there. So who knows if this thing actually gets popular and actually gets off the ground? Everyone's gonna have to go ahead and scoop up all those foiled mystifies and start running them in their sideboards. Is it is it going to be another? Hundred dollar set for like the Squadron box. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it'll ever get that high. Although uh, you should, you should try looking up the price of uh, Foil Splinter Twins right now. You'll be very surprised. I don't want to know. I really don't. Honestly, seriously, I don't want to know. Well, LSV has completed his entire set review, going through every card, giving its playability for standard, as well as constructed. Uh, standard, constructed. And giving his grades thumbs up and thumbs down on it, and you guys have talked about it on the show. It, it seems it, it's funny. Like spoiler season is one of the most fun times of the year, but you get so exhausted so fast going over these cards over and over again. Um, you know, it's usually usually what leads me to not even bother reading. Um, and and I you know I don't get to share in the great puns that he offers to everyone else with everything. Now, as I'm wondering, did you did you read everyone this time around? No, I didn't read everyone this time around. I looked I looked for certain cards and what he thought about it, and he basically agreed with most of the cards out there that for certain situations, yeah, are going to be better than others. And it's amazing that probe. Everybody loves the probe. I'm telling you, that card should be. <laughs> I, I I'm waiting for the first event where that probe can be played in. It it already reminds me of uh, you know when Luis and then uh, Chapin skyped in for the show we did about the spoilers and those guys could have gone off for half an hour on that card. It was really hard to just kind of find a way to interject and try to get them to move on and talk about any of the other cards because it was like you guys it was a, a lot of the uh, the feeling was very kind of like raw dissection of the seeing it for the first time so it was all very like well, what about this interaction? Well, I hadn't thought about that interaction. Like, how many card, how many decks do you really want to play? 56 card decks and 12, you know, start at 12 and all these kind of, like, ideas. And there, there's so much more room to be thinking about it with it. Like, again, like, free, free spells, that's what happens with magic. All of a sudden you have seemingly infinite more avenues and options. Well, Kyle this week talks about Waffagate and his Landstill deck that Waffle inspired for Legacy. And obviously, as we know, with the next big tournament being Legacy Tournament, uh, Landstill decks, I haven't seen many of them uh, lately show up on the on the events showing what's going on with them. But Landstill still always is always a pain, and it can be a force if played correctly. And this deck is definitely interesting with the cards he's got in it, the Divining Tops and the Shorts of Plowshares. It's interesting. There's no mention of of the new one for the. Well, he has mental mental misstep afterwards, but it's funny. Humility. Mm-hmm. How often was humility played? I, I may have missed that card as being really really powerful. Uh, it, it's it's seen decent. I mean, it's it's seen play between when it was printed and you know even 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 very recently uh, in the last. In the last year or so, it was one of the various ways to stop a progenitus. Okay, because that's one of the cards that just seems to be the 
when they spin that thing out and all of a sudden you're staring at a 10-10 protection from everything. It's like, oh, this is just amazing. I, I, I'm a big fan of the counterbalance deck, personally. I really like that. I like the way it plays out. I like the way you can stymie your opponent at that. And I mean, this deck, if this deck can't stop your opponent, I don't know what will. I mean, he basically grinds everything to a halt with this deck. Is that on your end? Uh, there was a truck that just went by my apartment. I'm sorry about that. Okay, no problem. All right, so we have... Uh, Shuhei writes on his blue-black control deck versus every matchup, and why to be on the play on, or on the draw versus either matchup. It, it's a very in-depth article on how to play this deck correctly. And I still think, even after the new set comes out, I still think he should be he'd be able to play blue black control very effectively. It's a it's a fun article. It, Shuhei tends to write a lot of words in it, so I think it's very very enjoyable, especially if you enjoy reading articles that go into depth for competitive magic. This is an article you really do want to read. Uh, it reminds me of the whole. This is why we play three cryptic command. This is why we play four cryptic command. This is why we play yep. you know some number of. Inquisitions and duresses and vice versa. Uh, again, like if you want the best breakdown of a particular deck, of a particular archetype, uh, if it's something that you play or you're, you know, want to dissect to the level that they do, check out. I mean, Japanese articles in general. I mean, you know, I don't want to have to generalize, but uh, Shuhei is probably the best. Uh, again, like I don't really read everything that comes out, but when one of his articles comes out, it, it's like I have to stop myself and find the time because. You learn so much. Well, and like I said, if you get to meet him in person, one of the absolute most politest, politest gentlemen you'll ever meet. A very nice guy. Just a very nice guy. And also, we have a bonus. Apollo did a Meta Magic interview with me, and it can be found at mtgcast.com. Listen to it; it's a lot of fun. Uh, great insight on him. A lot of things that he wants to talk about, uh, including a, a small little teaser. And this this might be to help you. Uh, Paulo eventually wants to move from Brazil. What a surprise! And wants to find a home somewhere. So oh. this is so this is where LSV needs to make room in the house, clear out a little room for him, and have him move in. You don't think he'll be doing that? Uh, <laughs> Luis's current place is pretty small, so I don't, I don't know if that would work out, but. Uh... We'd love to have him in the States. All the more, we'd love to have him in California. Uh, you know, bring, bring him on over. I'd love to see Paulo every week. I mean, I, I, of all the draft videos that go up these days, I, his are the ones I usually make time for, and part of that is because he makes me laugh so much, and I love the Paulo voice, but um, he's also a great guy, and we can only hope that he'll choose the United States. Although, the way things have been going here, you know, for a while, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault him for going to Canada. Well, he has had, like I said, that the interview was a lot of fun. And he just, in general, really, there's a lot of things he enjoys about life. And when you're interviewing him, honestly, I didn't hear the voice. <laughs> and I know I should have. I'm gonna, I'm, all right, I'm going back and listen, listen to it now. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, all right, all right, that's fine. We have an F&M Deck of the Week. Okay. Uh, yes, we do. Uh, this time, you know, scouring the various, you know, I've been in a lot of national qualifiers recently, been in a lot of 
um, 5Ks and, like I said, Wizard World, all these events, it seems like, oh, the Ka things, oh, the Stoneforge Mystics everywhere, it's so tiring, it's so boring, it's the, you know, six Ka Blade decks, one random and one uh, rug deck. It's so nice to, you know, scour the DE events for Magic Online and find what 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 used to not even be fresh is so fresh now. I've got a sweet vampires list this week with my hero of Oxid Ridge. Um, a very interesting choice for the for kind of the removal disruption suite and uh, classic shatters in the sideboard to kind of round out that pesky removal that's needed against all those Cago decks. Again, this was a uh, a four O D E deck, so it's definitely worth checking out uh, if you don't want to play. The regular menace. If you want to see something a little bit different, that's not too far off the beaten path. And if you're like me, you probably still have all your vampires cards and miss the days then when it was uh, competitive. So check out that list. Hopefully, it'll be F and M worthy for your Friday magics. Well, and the cost of it is extremely low. I mean, you figure vampires in general aren't that expensive as a whole. I mean, this is a very buildable deck that's at a decent budget range too. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, as you know, as that one deck becomes more popular and sucks up, you know, more more of those cards are being sucked up to be played with, uh, just by proxy, everything else goes down, which uh, will obviously be a topic for our next section. The five up, five down. You know, uh, again, I'll let you, I'll let you kind of lead the reins on this carriage, and I'll just uh, tell you directions. All right, we're gonna go down, and we're gonna go down with the. The hundred dollar menace that's not turning into a hundred dollar menace anymore. Well, you know, this is more of kind of a, uh, a a victory point than you know, like oh, it's big shocking news. Jace is moral; he's going down in value. Um, I just can kind of give you an update on the Jace watch. All my predictions have come true. You know, the nationals, the big nationals qualifier weekend is over. Local nationals qualifiers are over. Uh, Standard is slowly starting to wrap up for this guy. You see the last set he's going to be playable with. You see if there's anything else that's going to impact the format and change. Uh, Kind of the the window on Standard. You finally see it starting to close for Jason Mind Sculptor. Uh, He's kind of come off that plateau like we'd always kind of hoped he would and knew he would eventually. Uh, Now, really, the question for everyone is, you know, where will he, you know, stop falling? Where will he land? And what will it look like after that's happened? You know, right now, the buy prices from all the major websites are kind of in free fall on this card uh, as so many of them start pouring in from people that are just done playing standard and over it. Uh, so we'll, we'll see where things go. And uh, so you either, you know, you have options. You can uh, kind of capitalize by trying to pick them up from people if you think. I mean, he's obviously going to be good in extended. He obviously is good in eternal formats. It's still a good magic card. The plateau might be, uh, you know, higher than a lot of people speculate it is. Uh, but, you know, if, if you want to sell them, if you want to kind of get your money out of them now that you've got your play out of them, now is kind of the time to sell if, uh, if you're looking to get kind of the, the, the price this summer. Um, it could go back up again if, you know, uh, extended is in the fall, but, you know, it, it dropping right now, which seems pretty obvious to everybody, but there you go. Sort of body and mind. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, soon to be kind of seemingly outclassed by War and Peace. So many people are talking about how that'll be the new kind of extra slot or even sideboard slot in the Codex. Um, you know, Body Mind just isn't doing enough. Again, as, as Rug kind of moves to four Inferno Titans and Lightning Bolts and all the Slag Storms and all these things to kind of deal with the creatures, it's 
it's not kind of the seemingly auto win card against that matchup. Um, it's it's just it's not doing it like it was before. Oh. Elspeth Tyrell. She's really starting to she's starting to suffer. She's starting to suffer in the uh, head to the Sarkon Mad kind of you know bottom of the barrel Planeswalker price range for these one expansion shot Planeswalkers. Uh, she's a bit of a surprise to me. I have always been a fan. I've played her in Standard. And the old, like, Kago variants, I was very, uh, happy with her and liked what she did. Kind of that, uh, Nevin Ural's Disc or Oblivion Stone type effect was really powerful. Uh, you know, the format is sped up a little bit. It's a little more diverse. Obviously, these flying sorted guys kind of give her a bit of a headache. But I, I don't, I, this one is a bit of a mystery to me. Like, I think it's a great buy at $10.00. Um, it's just a good card. It's going to be a good card long-term. I don't know why she's bottoming out in the way she is. I think the, the the real thing is, like, there's so much Scars being opened right now, and she's not in a Tier 1 deck in everyone's mind. So, uh, you know, she's she's bottoming. She's kind of... I hope she's pulling more of a Gideon Jura and less of a Sark in the Mad. Let, let, me, let me put it that way. Yeah. Fauna Shop. Uh, Green's just getting the short end of the stick. Uh, it seems like we've... I've mentioned it already in this podcast... We don't know if she's going to be an M12. Vengevine decks aren't seeing any action. That's where she's most effective. Um, I mean, this card was, you know, six to eight, ten dollars at its height in the last year when M11, since M11 has been out. Now we're looking at a five dollar rare that still has room to drop. If it's not reprinted, if Vengevine decks don't see more action in standard, um, it could take a long time for this card to kind of regain its value. I mean, obviously extended at some point will have these cards, and I, I would imagine they've got to be good. But right now, uh, green cards in general still on the way down. You know, I've, I mentioned in the past weeks about Primeval Titans and Thrones and these things. I think a lot of them can bounce back. Uh, some of them can't. And uh, this, you know, who knows? It might be one, it might not. You know, like next week they could say it's an M12, and all these other good blue and white cards won't be, and all of a sudden she'll be cream of the crop again. But right now, not the case. Eldrazi Monument. Yeah. You know, this is one of those ones that it doesn't seem like it's been a surprise to me, and it seems like it's just kind of, without anyone really noticing, falling off this really high pedestal that I don't even know how it got there in the first place. If you remember all the way back to, um, gosh, I don't, even see, I don't even remember what it was. There was this sweet green creatures deck that won a Star City Games 5K that was like Nissa Ravains and Garrix and Elves and Big Mana Oh My. And it capitalized on Eldrazi Monument. And that card went from kind of that speculative mythic rare, where it's like, ooh, it's kind of like Wonder, it gives you guys evasion, it's kind of like uh, Glorious Anthem, makes you guys bigger for the kill, it makes all your guys indestructible. It kind of went from an innocuous 6 to $8 mythic to an 18 to $20 mythic. And slowly over time, it's been, you know, dropping. I mean, Sark and the Mad is another great, like, model for this card. All of a sudden, you're looking at, like, a 5 $6 mythic rare. It, it kind of even dropped below where it felt like it started in the first place. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much where it's left you. I mean, this, this card, I, I was buying it off of players last weekend, and there were definitely more than one that was astonished at how low we were offering on this card. And I was like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's not me. I'm not, my, my margins aren't bigger. It's just this card is not, uh, not doing anything anywhere. It's worth, you know, nothing when it used to be worth what, what felt like a lot. Hmm. Uh, five up. It's now heading, obviously, towards the Legacy Tournament and Lion Eyes, Di- Lion Eyes Diamond. Lion's Eye Diamond, yeah, kind of the biggest mover recently in Legacy. I mean, we've had these uh, 
kind of romances with force of wills and wastelands and the shot in ports and all these cards that have just shot up in value recently. Uh, and Lion's Eye Diamond is kind of the, the newest kid to the party of the, hey, look, I appear to be covered in way more bling than I used to. Um, I, I think that coming up to Providence, you're going to look at a lot of players wanting to play sweet combo decks, uh, uh, stuff that's kind of self-contained as a playable deck on its own. It's not trying to metagame too much against particular things and have too many silver bullets. And Lion's Eye Diamond is kind of a, a cornerstone of one of those decks. And, uh, you know, obviously had room to grow. You're looking at a Mirage Rare, which... Uh, that many happen. Okay. It, it's okay. one of those cards that doesn't have promo versions, so it's got even more room. Uh, Phyrexian Dreadnought? This is kind of a, a, a kind of a hybrid. Uh, yes, it's one of those Mirage Rares. Yes, it's a powerful card that's been played in Legacy before. It's usually attached to Stifle. And what surprised me about this was it seems like anything that costs one in Legacy right now would be kind of a disadvantage with all these mental missteps that everyone's already assuming are going to be in their decks coming up to Providence. But, um, you know, a couple of factors are going in. Phyrexian Dreadnought apparently is a pretty good game against Team America. That's what Luis has told me. Um, him being a Team Phyrexia, or Team America, Team Phyrexia, that is a deck name, uh, <laughs> Team America player as of late. So this, this creature or threat functions well against that deck. And additionally, there's all this speculation around Torpor Orb, to prevent its triggered ability from when it enters the battlefield. So you just, you know, get your orb into play real fast, and all of a sudden you're laying 12-12s for one, just like you always dreamed you could. Natural order. Again, same in that same vein as Lion's Eye Diamond. Uh, you're looking at a Mirage Block Rare. You're looking at a pretty easy two-card combo piece. You're looking at one that can easily fit into various decks with your Dryad Arbors being able to be fetched up from any of your fetch lands. Um and a big Legacy tournament that's coming up. So a lot more players playing Legacy, a lot more people wanting to cheat their progenesis into play, Natural Order back on its way up. Poison? Skithlix? Skitherix the Blight Dragon. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I've talked about this guy a lot recently, but uh, Poison decks are here. I mean, even though the new Phyrexia spoiler didn't really offer that much more to them, uh, it definitely feels like it's going to be in Type 2 post-rotation, People already love it right now. Brian Kibler is doing the best he can to make Poison decks viable. Uh, and we're looking at the kind of the mythic rare from the bunch. Uh, he, he was already a popular card when the set was released. It started at $20, kind of bottomed out around 7 back on its way up, again, with the popularity of Poison decks. And it being a mythic rare, so that kind of inflates its value a little bit more right now. Um, if you can pick him up for sub-$10, it's kind of an instant buy right now. Hmm. And Fencer. This is a bit of a surprise to me, but it kind of makes sense. Uh, sneaking into kind of the, the more controlish Ka variants as a one-of, maybe a two-of post-board, uh, its tricks are still kind of under the radar, you know. Resetting your tumble magnets goes a long way. Resetting your mortar pods can even go a longer way. Being able to kill multiple, um, like, squadron hawks with your mortar pod in conjunction with your Venser seems to be going a really long way in standard right now. And, and again, like, and this, this guy is going to be a lot more powerful post-rotation when there's there's kind of fewer things interfering with him. So uh, already starting to make the climb back out of the basement, staying away from that Sarkin the Mad type uh, price range. Venser is back on his way up. I think he's currently sitting around $13. So again, another one of those Sub-10 buys seems like an auto. And that's it for 5 Up and 5 Down. We have a new promo this week. 
We're uh, moving a little bit away from promo coupon codes. My webmasters are very not happy with the way their their system is functioning right now. And we're going to actually try to do a two-prong attack it this week. Uh, if you head over to the Facebook page, we'll try to be posting more content there. Any comments that we get from Facebook comments about anything, pros, cons, uh, I've been trying to throw some more questions up there in this last week. You know, we Luis was asking what... Uh, you know, new formats you'd like to see Team Fireball record for the website. Uh, more, more stuff like that. More kind of Q and A from uh, the fans, the the player base, the community out there. Um, so anything we get back, assuming you have a channelfireball.com account, you can be entered into our drawing for a new Phyrexia Fat Pack to be drawn next week on set release. So again, head over to Facebook, like us on Facebook, comment us on Facebook, check things out over there. Um, I just can't seem to break 5,000 people. Come on. It doesn't seem that hard. I mean, even this show has had that many listeners at some point, I found out, which is incredibly exciting. I'll, I'll stop on the side note there and thank everyone that uh, bothered to listen to the little we seem to have to say on here. Uh, thanks, everybody. It's very difficult for me with my schedule to make it to be able to do this, but um, thank you very much. Head over to Facebook. I'm done with that sales pitch. What do you got else for us, Robert? No, that's it. Let's wrap up the show and call it an evening. All right. Um, yeah, God, I'm, I'm so out of it. You can send your comments, questions, concerns, best wishes for my San Jose Sharks in the NHL playoffs to tsg at channelfireball.com. As usual, I am on the road all the time, leaving for Anaheim again tomorrow for L.A. pre-release action. But... Uh, we hope to make it to a lot of events, and uh, if I don't catch you on the World Wide Webs, look for me at Grand Prix and such to kind of shoot the uh, expletive deleted, sell us your cards, and so on and so forth. Uh, Tristan Gregson on Twitter, and I'm done selling myself. What about you, Robert? Well, look, first of all, who's going to be at that uh, release with you, sir? Anybody uh, we may know? Uh, maybe. Hold on one second. I can look at my notes. All, all of you know the, the regular gunslingers you know are going to be up at. Uh, we're going to have artist Tom Baxa, yes. and we're going to have longtime, longtime Magic player Matt Place. Those will be your artist and gunslinger in the Anaheim pre-release, where I will be as well. Okay, wonderful. And I'm Robert, and you can catch me on Twitter on the Beamy. Uh, you can send emails, comments, thoughts, like he said, to Robert at ChannelFireball.com. And for the hardcast, you have a you have a million shows, Rob. You don't want to mention everyone else. What else you're on all the no, time? You were no. you were like main. You were main. I was. We were headlining Monday Night Magic this week. Were you not? Yeah, I was substituting for Tom because Tom again with that house and being a doctor to five thousand different people. You know, he's trying to pay the bills and get stuff done. Well, meanwhile, Robert steps it up and you know hosts the biggest podcast in all of Magic podcasting. He does have his own show, which I'm sure I talked right through. Uh, you'll have to check that out later as well. Um, oh, your own show. You have like three of your own shows? I, again, you, he's, he's talking way more often than I do, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> well, uh, I just enjoy doing what I do. So on that note, thank you for listening, and we will catch you next week.